Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. This morning, Luke chapter 19, if you're a guest with us, we want to welcome you. We're so glad you're here. And hey, there are some cards in the seat back pocket in front of you. If you would fill out the contact card there and you can drop it off in the um, love box in the back. Uh, that is where our offerings go, by the way. There's no signage or anything on it, but it's right there. So you can check that out as well. If you're a guest, we do want to let you know that we have some information for you just directly across from the sanctuary doors. Uh, there's a welcome packet there that you can stop and get. And it just has some information about our church and who we are, what we believe. So if you want to grab that, that would be awesome. And also, we want to join our on online audience. So we're so glad that you're here with us this morning and anyone who's joining us via podcast or, or web stream or whatever. If you miss a Sunday, by the way, you can go to our website or you can go to our Facebook. Usually there's a link there that you can watch live stream, which is kind of cool so you don't miss it. And uh, you can also go to our website and pick up our uh, the last week's sermon, if you like, uh, there's an MP3 on there. You can download that if you know and do whatever, you, put it on your computer or whatever. Or you can also sign up for iTunes, um, Google Play. All of the sermons are distributed there as well, so you can check that out. Luke chapter 19. Uh, stand with me if you would, and we're going to read verses 11 through 27 this morning. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, Therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, Having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom uh, he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made me five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a, in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, uh, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Why then... Did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him, and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But to the one who is not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here, and slaughter them before me. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We're so grateful that we can sit at your feet and allow your word to speak into our lives. We pray your Holy Spirit just, Lord, speak directly to us this morning about what it is that you desire to say to us. We know you have a word for us. 
Lord, we know that you want to transform our life. You want, you want us to become more like Jesus, and it's by your word, by the hearing of your word, that you do that, and by the obeying of your word. And so we pray this morning that we would have ears to hear, Lord, and that we would have hearts to obey your word. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the time, for the preservation of your word, and we ask you now to speak to us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Have you ever lost anything that was near and dear to you purely because you were distracted? Has that ever happened? Parents, maybe uh, you know what I'm talking about. You ever lost a child that way before? Maybe you're in a, uh, the grocery store and you're distracted about getting your groceries and your two-year-old child was right there a second ago and all of a sudden they're gone and you're freaking out? Where is my child, you know? Hey, listen, I, I can speak on that from... Uh, actually just recent experience. Uh, this wasn't the first time this has happened to us, but the second with the same kid. So my wife and I aren't going to be getting any parent uh, awards or anything like that, so it's okay. We were going to go to lunch a couple weeks ago right after service, and uh, as we do, you know, we kind of hang out here for a while, and, and then we, uh, we took off, and Mike's wife was out of town, so we went to lunch with Mike. We went up to Amigos in Spring Hill, sat by these guys, actually, and it was funny because as soon as my wife got there, we, we drive different cars to church because, you know, I come earlier and my wife comes later, so we were going to Spring Hill. We live up that way, so we thought, hey, we'll just take both of our cars up there, and so I drove separate from her, and so when we got there early and we got a table, my wife, you know, is legging along. No, no offense, but she was. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. But we got her there anyways, <laughs> faithfully, and uh, we sat down, and here comes my wife with my daughter, and she, the first thing she says is, where's Jude? And, and I looked at her like I always do, like, am I my son's keeper? You know, I, <laughs> is that my job? No, I didn't. I thought that was your job, because uh, maybe it's in the Bible somewhere. I'm pretty sure it's your job, but anyway. Um, oh, uh-oh. Guess what? My wife didn't even sit down. She just turned around. She went directly back to the church. Now, understand, we were so distracted about getting out of here to go to lunch, we forgot our son. Now, we do love him. I promise. <laughs> we love him a lot. But he was also distracted. He was distracted in what he was doing. He was so enthralled in this movie, this video, whatever he was watching, that he didn't even notice we were gone. My wife comes in, and he's just like, Jude, Jude, where are you? And he had headphones in, and she finally found him somewhere, tuck, you know, probably hiding, probably under a cupboard somewhere, because that's what he does. He takes a, a, some device, and he goes and sits there and watches it in his own privacy. So anyway, she ended up getting him. Now, th I get, this is the second time it happened. The first time when we found him, he was freaking out. But it, it was the same circumstances, actually, both times. You know, we were, we were distracted. We were same circumstances. We took two cars. All of that was exactly the same. And the reason it happened was exactly the same. We were distracted. We weren't doing our job as parents to make sure that we had our kids around us and, you know, scooting them out the door and all that kind of stuff. And our kids weren't doing their job either. Everybody was distracted. And guess what? Something got lost. Something got lost. Now, that can happen in our Christian walk. It can happen in our walks with the Lord where we can be distracted in life that we forget about the business that we're supposed to be doing. Like Jesus isn't, didn't just plant us here to wait for him to come with nothing to do. He has a job for us to do. 
He wants us to, to accomplish certain things. And so we have business to do here on earth. And yet oftentimes we get distracted. Listen, we are God's ambassadors here. And although he doesn't need us, he doesn't need you and I to go into the world and do it. He's called us to. We've all been commissioned. There's not a single person here that has not been commissioned by Jesus himself to go into all the world and to what? Not just share the gospel, but to make disciples. That's something even more than just sharing the gospel. That's actually coming alongside of even believers. Uh, the point is that, that you know, we're called to a life of service to Christ to serve people no matter who they might be. Unbelievers and believers alike, we're called to bring the message that God has given us. He's entrusted us with his word. It contains the gospel and many other truths. He's entrusted it to you as his ambassadors, and he wants you, and he left you with that instruction to go into the world and to make disciples. That's our jobs. That's what we're supposed to be doing. It's a call to ministry for every single person. Some people say, hey, you know, that I'm not called to ministry. I'm just a Christian. I'm waiting for Jesus to come. But you understand, when you come to Christ, you're called to ministry. Everybody is. We're all ministers. You know what that word means? Servant. We're all servants of Christ. We're, that's our service. Our ministry is our service to the Lord. We're all called in to ministry, not just pastors and church leaders and, you know, people that have titles in the church. That's, those aren't the only people that are called into ministry. Everyone is. We're all called to do that. Perhaps, maybe, you've forgotten that. There's so many things in our lives that we can get distracted with. So many different things that we can, in, we can engage in that have really nothing to do with what the Lord um, has you know, placed us here on earth to do. And even in the places that he places us, we can get distracted you know, with the things right around us that he's called us to do that we're, we're so focused on what we're doing that we forget of, about the mission. And that's what really Jesus wants to talk to us about tonight, or this morning. I keep saying tonight for some reason. But anyway, the title of my message is Engaging in Kingdom Business. Engaging in kingdom business. And if you're in Christ, again, you're called to engage in kingdom business. God has something for you to do. He planted you somewhere for, for kingdom purposes. You know, uh, everywhere you go, whether it's the community you live in, the place that you work, the places you shop, the friends that you have, that is your respective mission field. And the Lord has planted you there. And I know some of you are thinking, Lord, I don't think you planted me by this friend because they are just so hard to love. Well, no, actually, I think he did plant you there because he wants you to love them. He wants you to minister to them. He wants you to do the business, do kingdom work with these people. He wants you to help them. He wants you to disciple them. We're going to learn today that the Lord has entrusted us all with the same tools, every single one of us. Now, there's a difference between the giftings of God, which is a whole different parable that isn't the parable that Jesus is teaching here, the parable of the talents, which we'll get to at an, another time. That's speaking more about the, the giftings. And some were given, you know, five talents. And they were all given different amounts because everybody's called to something different, but we're all called to ministry. And so God equips us and he, and he gifts us according to the things that he's called us to. And, and so some person might have more giftings than you because they have more responsibility. They're called to something different than you are. But as it relates to... What God has entrusted us with, we all get the same, and that's the parable that we see here. We all are entrusted with the Word of God. Every one of us, we're entrusted from day one 
God wrote the word through his apostles. He wrote all these, all, all the, the New Testament primarily through the apostles. He wrote the, the, other, the Old Testament, you know, prior to, to Christ's coming. And it's been preserved for us to take it into the world and to utilize the word of God in people's lives. Because as you know, it is alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. This, this thing right here is, is breathed into and it breathes back out. It speaks to us. It transforms our lives. And so the beautiful thing about it is you don't have to figure out what the message is. You've been given the message. You're a messenger. You're a mail, you know, you're, you're a mail delivery person. You're just delivering the mail. Here's the message. You're heralding what God told you to herald. You know, you're telling people what God told you to tell them. Thankfully, we've also been all been given the Holy Spirit if we're in Christ. And so we have the empowerment and we have the message. Everybody the same has all of that to go and do what we're called to do. And yet sometimes we get distracted by focusing on our own personal pursuits. And, you know, it's uh, he wants to remind us this morning that Jesus is coming back one day. And guess what's going to happen when he comes back? He is going to keep us accountable to what it is that we did with his word. And so we want to make sure that, uh, you know, we are being faithful with his word. Now, what we're going to find in the passage here is there's three different uh, groups of people in this story that represent all humanity. There are those who are engaging in kingdom business. There are those who are afraid to engage in kingdom business. And there are those who hate the king and his kingdom. We see all three of these people. You're either faithful servant of God, you're either an unfaithful servant, or you're an enemy of the king. There are no other groups. Those are the three groups that exist in this world. Those are the, maybe even the three groups that exist in this place this morning. My prayer is that we're honest with ourselves this morning and where we fit in line with what this is talking about. Where am I today? Am I being faithful with the mina that God has given me? Am I being unfaithful? Do I even have a mina? Am I even, am I an enemy of the Lord? Listen, can you be honest with yourself this morning as we encounter the scriptures? I'll need a verbal yes from all of you. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, wait, that's, that's on an airplane. Never mind. And you're not in emergency exit row. So, but, but I do want you to be honest with yourself. We're going to begin by looking at the reason for the parable here in verse 11. It says, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Jesus was just got done, uh, you know, at, at uh, Zacharias' house. As Zacharias got saved, you can pick it up later if you didn't listen to it last week or you weren't here. But, but God had an encounter with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus had a transformation. He, he got saved. And then as Jesus was talking to him afterwards, he said today, in verse 9 of, of chapter 19, he said, today salvation is coming to your house because the Lord had been knocking on the door of his house house on the heart and he drew him in and he accepted Christ and then Jesus went on to talk about his mission in verse 10 and he says you know I have come to seek and save the lost that was his mission that's what he did and Jesus was on point and in fact it kind of solidifies the fact that he's on point and the fact that Zacchaeus just got saved and people are grumbling because Jesus is hanging out with sinners but that was his mission to seek and save that which was lost. And so it was after they heard these things that he began to tell them a parable. 
Now, a parable, you might already know, is an earthly story that has a heavenly uh, truth to it. it. It's something that Jesus uses to illustrate something they're not familiar with. Like, he's trying to illustrate the way that uh, heavenly principles in an earthly manner so that they understand. And so he, he does this by speaking in parables, and he did this a lot. Um, the reason that he is speaking in parables, we see in the scripture right here, is because his disciples have the wrong impression about what Jesus is here for. See, they, 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 don't, they have their theology or their eschatology a little mixed up. They think that, that Jesus has come uh, just the first time to set up his kingdom. And so he's just, the Messiah is here, and so he's going to set his kingdom up, and we're all going to reign and rule with him. That's why James and John just got done asking Jesus to be the, the, the right and the left hand. They sent their mom to do that. You believe that? On Mother's Day, we talked about that, and only a mother would do that. They would go before Jesus. Can my sons have your right and left, the most honorable seats in the house? Can they sit there? They were Jesus' cousins, by the way. <laughs> he always got, he loved family, right? Hey, just give me a hard hat and, a, um, you know, you own a business. They want a hard hat and a, and a, a board there, and they don't want to do any work because we're family. That's kind of what they were asking. Let, let me just sit there just because, Jesus. Well, ultimately, they had the wrong theology. They, they were really anticipating this coming. And, and the anticipation was rising. The excitement was stirring because they were very close. They were very near to Jerusalem. They're only like 18 miles. They're in Jericho. And so you can see, Jesus can see in their eyes, like they're thinking, man, this is about to happen. We're about, we're about ready to get, um, you know, elevated here, man. We're going to rule and reign with Jesus. And so what Jesus is going to do is he's going to correct their, their, their thought process as it relates to what the Messiah was here to do the first time. You see, the, 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 there was another time where Jesus will come back and where he will rule and reign on earth. But that's not this time. See, Jesus had to come for a different reason. It says here that they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. They supposed. I like that word there, supposed. It's an interesting word. It means to regard something as presumably true, but without particular certainty. You suppose a lot, I'm sure. But you know, supposing is not faith because it's wishful thinking. I'm not certain about it. I'm just hoping that it happens. That's not faith. Faith is having the certainty that it will happen. And so they're not operating by faith. They're presuming. They're presuming that, Jesus, that, that their theology is correct. And every time Jesus brings up the idea that he's going to be crucified, they don't even hear it because they've presumed. And, and that can happen when we sit before the word of God. We've presumed we know what it says, or we suppose that that is the way it is, and so we just, we just miss what he's saying. They were banking on their belief more than the, what the Word of God had to say. And how many of us do that today? We suppose about things in the Christian faith. Listen, you and I don't have to suppose about anything. God has given us his Word, and his Word is true, and it stands forever and everything that you need for life and godliness is in here. You don't have to wonder, is God okay with me if I do this? What does the word say? Is God okay if I do, you know, if I go there? Well, what does the word say? He's given you what you need. Everything, you know, as it relates to life is in the Bible somewhere. 
It might not blatantly say, you know, this is your situation and this is how you work through it, but the principle is there. He's not left us, you know, with blind. He's given us everything we need. We just walk by faith in his word. And when he tells us to do the right thing, even though it's going to result in maybe some hardship on our end, we do it because it's by faith we walk and we want to honor his word. So we do it. We don't have to suppose about that. They understood that when Messiah come, that he would bring his kingdom with them. And they were right about that. The king, Jesus, Jesus said the kingdom is, is here. He was saying it is here. And yet there is the aspect of that it's still coming. And what do I mean? Well, well, Jesus, the fact that he was there, you know, he was there to restore the kingdom. And then he was going to go away, and then he was going to bring the kingdom with him again. And it, there's, there's two different things going on there. In the Garden of Eden, there were two deaths that happened. There was a spiritual death and a physical death. What Jesus has come to do, what the, what the Old Testament speaks about relating to the Messiah coming, is the fact that he would come and he would restore first the spiritual kingdom. That he would restore relationship with God. Remember, as soon as they had sinned, they got banished from the Garden of Eden. They were no longer allowed to be in God's presence. There was a separation between man and God because of sin. Well, Jesus came to bring that back first so that we could be in relationship with the Father through, through, through Jesus Christ, through the Messiah, through his blood. And that was all documented. You know, uh, Psalm 16 talks about it. Isaiah 53 talks about it. There's many scriptures that talk about Jesus being crucified. The Messiah is going to be crucified. But they didn't understand it, and they missed it. And then there's many other scriptures that talk about the second coming, which we, is the second coming of Christ where he's going to bring a physical kingdom. He's going to inst instill his kingdom on earth. He will sit on a throne here on earth. But he has to buy the kingdom back first. And that's the, the, his first coming is the time that he's there with these guys. He's come to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He came to be a sacrifice for them. And, and again, it, it spoke about that. The Old Testament spoke about that. The Word declared that. 2 Corinthians chapter, two, chapter 5, verse 21 tells us that for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might in him that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the Son who was slain for our sins so that we could become righteous before God. It was the only way, folks, that true righteousness could come. We know, many of you have heard it over and over again, your good works will never get you to heaven. And we hear it, and yet sometimes it doesn't register, does it? We still kind of walk that way as if, well, God's going to be okay with me. If I just do some good things, I'm good with God. You've already got God's favor. You're not trying to work for it. You don't have to work for his favor. He loves you. That's why Jesus came, to declare his love for you, that he would lay down his life for you. And in relationship with him, you're made righteous. You don't have to do anything to be made righteous. Now, as the result of Christ coming in encounter with Jesus in your life, yeah, your life changes. And you're not the same person, and you're, doing, you're living differently. But it's not by your works. It's by his work on the cross. And that was his mission. That was part of his mission, to die and to raise again from the dead and to ascend to the Father. And then he's going to come back with a sword as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's going to come back, and he's going to restore this world. Matthew 10, 34, Jesus said this, Do not think that I have come to bring us peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
He's coming. He's coming back. And, and that particular verse, speaking about division, like Jesus is calling us to be all in with him, in relationship with him. There shouldn't be any relationship more important than your relationship with him. Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with, an iron, with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Jesus is coming back with a sword to, to take back his kingdom. And that's the reason he begins to teach about this parable, to correct them as it relates to the, the kingdom and how it's going to go down. Because they're going to be in for shock. When they roll into Jerusalem in just not a few, just a few short days, you know, and they're going to be in Jerusalem, and Jesus is going to get killed. And they're going to freak out. They're all going to bail on him. They're going to just run away, afraid. And the words that he left them with, all of this is going to come back to them at some point. He's trying to help them understand the things that are about to happen. How many times does God do that for you? Like, he's trying to prep you for something that you're going to go through, but you're not listening to him. You're like, oh, that's a nice verse, but I don't want to read that. What do I need that for? I'm not going through that. And then like two months later, you're going through that. And the Lord's trying to strengthen you now. He's trying to build your faith up now. He does that. You know, it's, an, it's interesting. If you will watch your life, if you will just start to monitor what the Lord is speaking about in your life, and then you watch how it plays out, you'll see his faithfulness. And, you know, before anything even comes about, you'll watch him be faithful to meet you where you are. It is incredible. God loves us that way, and he wants us to understand that. Listen, we are his kids. He is our father, and he's teaching into our life, and he's preparing us. Just as much as I have a 17-year-old son that's getting ready to go to college here in another year, and I'm pouring into him now. Listen, there's these things that you need to watch out for. Oh, yeah, 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 because they know everything, you know, just like I did when I was 17. But here's the thing. Here's the reality is that I'm trying as a father to pour into my son because I know the dangers. I know the traps that are waiting for him, and our father's doing the same thing. So monitor that, those things. Write those things down. When the Lord starts to, maybe it doesn't apply to you right then, but write it down. Because God wants to use that to minister to you, and he will. So we have the reason for the parable. Now the premise of the parable. Look at verse 12 there. It says, uh, he said, therefore, a, mo a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. And then he, calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. The premise of the parable is one that is commonly known in this time. They would understand this idea, this story that Jesus was using. They got it. They understood about a nobleman who would go to a far country, receive a kingdom for himself, and then come back, return, and rule, because they saw that with Herod the Great and uh, his son, Archelaus. His son, Archelaus, is an exact like, you know, replica of what Jesus is talking about here. There, you know, it's amazing how God can use historical events to still relate to, you know, that are direct parallels to who he is. Like, this story just fits so perfectly. But this really happened. Archelaus was, you know, after his, when, when he was supposed to take over for his father, 
Um, you know, he had they, anybody who was going to rule for Rome had to travel to Rome and get the uh, official authority uh, declared over them by the Caesar in order to be the king of that area. So although, you know, they, they had their, you know, in the regional area, it might be, you know, they're going to pass it down from generation to generation or whatever it might be. They still had to go to Rome and get the authority from the Caesar. And so Archelaus was hated by the people. He was going to take over, so he's going to go to Rome and get authority to, from Caesar to be able to rule and reign. Well, guess what? The people hated him, just like the story. And so they sent a delegation along with them to, to tell Caesar, we do not want this guy ruling in our area. We don't want him to be our ruler. And so, and so, it, so it was that, just as the parable says, the Caesar still gives him the authority to rule and reign in that area, and so he comes back, and of course, he's harsh with those people. Of course, he's, he's ruling and reigning with an iron scepter there. He's upset with them. But, but it's a perfect example of what Jesus is saying, and they all got that. They understood that. So that was a historical, uh, uh, something that really happened that he was using. Interesting enough that it was in Jericho where Jesus is right now in this present parable where Herod the Great died, and also, check this out, Archelaus actually built a palace there, and, and it wouldn't surprise me, this is my own, you know, little thing here, uh, that if Jesus wasn't standing in front of that, plat uh, that palace there where he started to talk about the story, because that's how Jesus told stories. He pointed things out. He illustrated things. He, you know, when he talks about the sower, you know, he, 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 saw, he pointed probably to the, to the ground and to the, you know, how the different types of soil that you sow on and all those sorts of things. It wouldn't surprise me if Jesus wasn't passing by Archelaus' palace in Jericho as he's making his way to Jerusalem as he tells this story. Imagine him pointing to that. And he says, okay, there's a nobleman. Well, we know the nobleman to illustrate Jesus. He is the nobleman in the story. And the premise is this, that he is now present, yes, but he is going to depart to receive his kingdom because it has to be bought back from the clutches of sin. You see, Jesus has to die before he can be the king of the world. He's got to buy it back with his blood. And, and the currency is perfect and pure blood of an unblemished sort. It's, it has to be perfect. And so God himself comes to be the sacrifice because only God's blood can cover that, can buy that sin back, can buy the world back from the enemy. And so, uh, you know, the citizens that are in this parable, these are the, this is the picture of the world who's rejecting Jesus. The ten servants, those are the believers in the church, in this story. The minor represents what we've been entrusted with, which is the word of God. And again, that includes the gospel, but it's not only the gospel. Oftentimes I tell people all the time, go share the gospel, go share the gospel. But if you've already heard the gospel, you need the rest of God's counsel, right? We need the whole counsel of God, not just the gospel. The gospel is the centerpiece of the word of God for sure. But we also need the rest of it to help us grow. And so that's why we're committed to verse-by-verse -verse teaching. That's why we teach the Bible the way we do, because we want people to grow, we want people to be discipled. We want people to know more than the idea of, yes, Jesus died on the cross and he rose again from the dead, and that's the foundation of our faith. But God wants to transform you to become like Jesus. 
And the rest of God's counsel helps you do that. God doesn't just want us to, he doesn't want us to be, you know, Christians that have big arms with skinny legs. You know what I mean? He wants us to be built. He wants us to be built up. He wants us to be strong. He wants us to be proportioned. Of course, you might have your bent in reading scripture. Maybe you like, you know, end times stuff and you read that or whatever. But you need the whole word of God. The Apostle Paul said, I, I have not, you know, in Acts chapter 20, I believe, he said, I have not failed to teach the whole counsel of God's word. That is what we're supposed to do to make disciples by giving people the entire counsel of God's word. The number 10 here, it's an arbitrary number that represents all of his servants. It's not just the 11 apostles and then the one fake one that he's speaking about here. He's speaking about everyone inclusively. That number 10 is an all-inclusive number. It just, it's kind of a blanket number. It means everybody. And so he's, he actually is talking to you this morning in this parable. And he, he, he's talking about you know, this idea of what he's entrusted you with personally. Notice the call to action in verse 13. Engage in business until I come. We are to engage. That means to be doing, to be busy, to occupy. How long? Just a couple years after we get saved and then we can slow it down a little bit? No. Until I return. Until I return. We're supposed to, it's a call for everyone who calls themselves for Christians to engage in kingdom business until Jesus comes back. And that's why it says to, that's why the Bible speaks about enduring. Because we're, we're called to endure and so we, we need to do that. We have disciples to make. We have lost people to reach. We don't have time to get wrapped up and distracted in our own thing, you know, in our own lives and what we have going on. But we should be so wrapped up in, the, in, in what God has entrusted us with, but we can't help but speak it. Like every instance we're in, we're just like, what is the word, you know, we're just, that's not, we, you can tell somebody what their mission is by what they focus on, what they talk about, what's important to them. The things that occupy your mind, the things that occupy your lips, are the things that you care about the most. So, you know, may the gospel be that for you. May the word of God, all, the counsel of God be that for us. Listen, we have to, we have to protect ourselves from falling into the sin of David. Oh, you know the sin of David, right? Not you, David, another David. But David, the King David, got complacent, remember? When he was a king, what happened? He fell. He fell, not just a little fall. Like he slept with somebody's wife, and then he killed the husband trying to per cover it all up. Why? Because he forgot about the kingdom business that he was supposed to be doing. He stayed at home, listen to this, when everybody else went to battle. He stayed at home when everybody else went to battle. And, and some of us stay at home, you know, spiritually speaking, while everybody else is out doing battle, and we think, oh, God doesn't need me. You're correct about that. But he has called you, and he's calling you today. Don't get complacent. Don't, don't get distracted. Be focused on the ministry. Engage. It's an active word. It's not something that's, you know, maybe. It's something that we're supposed to be doing. God's calling us to engage. Engage. Right where you are. You don't even have to figure out what the work is. He puts you where the work is. Your job, 
There's plenty of work there. Trust me, I know. Plenty of, work, plenty of ministry going on at your job. And, you know, maybe your ministry there is just to, you know, be the kind-hearted person in the office while everybody else is nagging at each other. And you're just speaking life into people's lives. Maybe that's your mission. I don't know what it is, but, but you have one. And you should be doing it. Sin will keep us from that mission as well. We get so entangled in things that then, you know, that, that we forget about the mission that God has put us on. Jesus tells us that we need to be engaged in kingdom business. Next, he tells us that the reason for that is because he's coming back. And we're gonna, it's going to be a day of reckoning. Look at verse 15. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Listen, the day is coming when the king is going to return. Jesus is coming back in all of his glory. Revelation chapter 19 describes him as somebody who is, he, he's going to be mounted on a white horse. His eyes are going to be so fierce that they're like flames of fire. His head is going to be a, a, adorned with a diadem, declaring his kingship. He is a king that's coming for his kingdom. His robe is going to be dipped in blood. It's going to have it written on it, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it will be a day of reckoning for, in a lot of different ways. In two different ways, specifically. The word reckoning can be used as a, to describe the act of calculating something or the act of judging something. So it can be used at both. And we see it used both in, in this text. Jesus begins by calling his servants to himself that we might know what he, they had gained by doing business. He entrusted them with his minas, with the mina. What did they do with it? And he expects fruit. He expects us to do something with it. Look at verse 16. Then the, the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has uh, made five minas. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. First, we see the faithful servant that had been engaging in business until Jesus would come back. This faithful servant was given a mina, just as everyone else was, and he made ten. Ten minas. This guy was eager. He was looking for opportunities. He was trying to, to do with what he knew to do with what he was given. Same thing with the second guy. The second guy comes and goes, hey, you gave me one mina, here's, ten, here's five back. No, these guys are active in what they're supposed to do. They're not all, they don't all get the same fruit, and it's not like it's all based on their, their efforts and all of that kind of stuff, but they, the point is that they engaged, and they did something with it, and the Lord was proud of them, and he was happy that they had done something with what he had given them. I love the fact that both of them come back, and they say, your mina has done this, not mine. It had nothing to do with me. It was your mina that caused the opportunity for me to see this fruit in my life. The mina, the word of God. As I said before, it will produce fruit if you, if you use it, if you're engaged with it. It'll produce fruit, not only in your life, but in the lives of other people. Jesus tells the one that, that gained 10, he said, well done, good servant. Because you've done this, man, I'm going to entrust you with more authority. The point of the 
of the, of the parable as it relates to these guys that have been faithful is Jesus is saying, because you've been faithful, I can trust you with more. Not only in this world, but in the world to come. You know, in, in, the, in the millennial kingdom is what he's referring to when he says you're going to rule over ten cities in the millennium. When Jesus comes back, he's going to set up his kingdom here on earth. It's called the millennial kingdom, and, and we're going to rule and reign with Christ because, as we'll see in a second, when Jesus comes back, he's coming back with the saints, and all the saints are coming back. We're going to rule and reign, and, and you know, the fruit, the, the, the reward of all that we gain and all that we're entrusted with uh, on the other side of this life all depends on what we did with what he gave us. You know, it's, it's the rewards, and there are crowns to be given, and there is authority to be given. And in, in particular, he's talking about authority here. And he's saying, I'm going to put these people, uh, because you've done great with what I've given you, I'm going to give you more. The same thing with the, the guy that get, got the five. It was God's mina that had done these things. Listen, there are people here amongst us sitting in these seats right now that are so faithful to what God has given that are just so faithful to do what God has called them to do. And you know what? One day when the Lord calls you home or you stand before him, he's going to say, well done. And because of your faithfulness to the mina that I've given you, you're going to have this kind of authority in my kingdom. And it's an awesome thing to have that. We don't do it because we get something, but the reality is there is a reward for those who engage in kingdom business. So next we look at what happens to the unfaithful servants. Look at verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man. I think he said it like that. You knew it. You didn't do anything with it. You knew I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. The servant wasn't faithful with what he had been given. He didn't do a single thing with it. He hid it. He wrapped it up, he put it somewhere safe, and nobody knew he had it. And do you know that's how some Christians live? No one knows they're a Christian. No one, no one knows it. They're just, they've, they've hidden their, their light, you know, they're, 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 they're camping out or wherever they're at. They're quiet, they don't talk, they don't tell, but, but you're an ambassador of Christ. Yeah, but I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a teacher, I'm not somebody who's... It doesn't matter. There are no excuses. God fashioned and formed you. He knows everything about you. He made you to do things with what he's entrusted you with. And this guy, do you see what he's doing? He's blaming the king for the reason why he didn't do anything. I didn't do anything because you're just such a severe man. What do you mean by that? Do you mean that I keep people accountable? Is that what you mean? You mean that when I entrust you with something, I actually expect you to do something with it? Is that what you mean by severe? You mean that when I give you something and then I say, hey, what did you do with that? Oh, you don't want me to ask those questions? Is that, is that what you're saying? 
<laughs> That's exactly what he's saying. Well, here, well, I don't see the problem. I, I, you gave me this, and I'm giving it back. There had been a time period there, and God said, at the very least, man, you could have deposited in the bank and made something off of it. You can do something with the word of God today that you're not doing with it. There's something that you can do with it. Just a little effort. Just a little something. If, if he would have brought back two minas and said, here, Lord, here's two. Here's one and a half. Here's one and a quarter. I did my best with what I had. The Lord would have said, okay, then you'll have this. But he did nothing. And so he gets no reward. He gets nothing. You know, everybody's going to get a crown in heaven. Some of them are going to have no jewels in them. Some of them are going to, you know, like I think the one I'm going to get is the one that says dunce on it. No, I'm just kidding. But everybody's going to get something in heaven. But Jesus says to this one who's been completely unfaithful, he's still a servant. He's a wicked one at that, but he's a servant. Jesus didn't say because you didn't do what I called you to do, you're no longer a servant of mine because our salvation isn't based on that. But the reward that we get from you know, him is based on that. And so the Lord says, well, because you didn't do anything with what I've given you, even the minor that I gave you, I'm going to take away, and you, you're no longer even going to have that. How mean is God? That's so mean. Because we live in a society that wants to give everybody a trophy, even if they don't do anything. Here, take a trophy. You're so good. No wonder we have the problems we have in this world, you know? Listen, there are rewards for people that work hard. And then there are, there are consequences for those that don't. And that's what I see in the kingdom. It's the same. The Lord says, you're not going to get anything because you didn't do anything with it. What you even had is being taken away from you. You have nothing. You'll, you'll walk the streets of gold, you know, a little propeller on your hat, and, you know, you'll, just, you'll be content, you'll be happy, but God has so much more for you. This guy wasn't able to manage. God couldn't trust him with anything else. And that's the reality. Now, you know this is all more about the servant than it is the master here, right? You realize that when he entrusted the servants, it was more about producing character in them than anything else. It was more about producing a faithfulness in their heart. Not that God would wonder what we would do with what he's given us, because he knows but he's showing us, and he's revealing our heart. You know, God doesn't want us to be lazy. He doesn't want us to, um, you know, just, just again, like I said a couple weeks ago, just get into heaven by the skin of our teeth, and we're just happy to do that. He wants us to be engaged in kingdom business. He wants us to be about his business. You know, Jesus, when he was 12 years old, from day one, he was on mission. When Jesus was 12 years old, you know, he departed from his parents, you know, and, and, in Jerusalem when they were going to the Passover, just like he's going to now. And he stayed there. And then his mom came back. They traveled a day, and then they traveled a day back, and they found him sitting in the temple. And he said, his mom goes up to him, this is what I think, boy, where you been, boy? And Jesus is like, hmm, talking to me? Well, I've been about my father's business. I've been about my father's business. You see, there comes a point in time when there is nothing else that gets in the way. 
there's no relationship that stands in the way of what he's calling you to do. There comes a point in time in which you have to say, look, I'm commissioned to him first and first alone and then to anything else after that. But I have to be faithful to him. And when you're faithful to him, it'll be a lot easier to be faithful to everybody else. But be faithful to him. Finally, he gets to the point where he, this, this is a different kind of reckoning here. In verse 27, he says, But as for those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Uh, Jesus says, Those who reject me, they will be slaughtered before me. This is not figurative. There's a judgment coming. There's a great judgment coming upon the world and the unbelieving. There is a battle. The battle of Armageddon, you know it. When Jesus is going to come back with his sword, Revelation chapter 14, verse 20 says, And the winepress has trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 16 stadia. 16 stadia, that, that is a, the equivalent distance of 184 miles. The Lord is coming back with a sword, and it's going to be tragic, and it's going to be horrific. Why? Because these servants rejected him, and now they will be judged by him. Listen, there are, only, there are two, two uh, options available for every person that ever lives in this world, and there is the, they can either drown in the horrific bloodbath of Armageddon, or they can bathe in the gracious blood of the blood of Lamb. You have the choice, and the Lord is saying today, you have that choice. You can either bathe in the blood and you can be protected, and, I, and you can be welcomed in my kingdom, or you cannot, and you can face my judgment. And it'll be forever, you know, torment and destruction. It's time to be honest with ourselves. Are you washed in his blood? We're about to partake in communion. Are you washed in his blood today? There would be no reason to take communion if you're not washed in his blood because what we're doing is recognizing what Jesus Christ has done for us and we're partaking of communion because we are in personal relationship with Christ. It's the only way to be right with God and Jesus came to do that for you and he wants to be in relationship and so if that's you this morning, you're not. You can be very easily. The Bible says that Jesus has already stepped to the door and he's already knocking. And he's just saying, hey, are you here? I, I'm here. I want to come in, but you got to let me in. you got to receive me in. And it's a simple thing to just say, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I'm, I failed in different ways. But I want to receive you in as my Lord and Savior today. I believe in the blood. I want to be washed in the blood, Lord because I want to be made right with you. I want to be in relationship with you through the, to the Father. I want to be reconciled today. And it's a sincere prayer, and it's not about the words. It's about a sincerity of recognizing who you are before a holy God and recognizing that Jesus Christ was slain for you, that he took your place at the cross, and you come into relationship to the Father through him. It's just a receiving of him this morning and de declaring, I believe that I'm a sinner, that God, you sent your son to die for me. I believe in his death. I believe in his resurrection. 
and I want to make him my Lord and my Savior. And when you do that, you're inviting Christ into your life, and you're washed in the blood. And you don't have to worry about anything that he's talking about after this. Now you are part of the ten servants. But that's only something you can do. So I'd invite you this morning, if you're not washed in the blood, that you get washed in the blood this morning. And then you partake of communion today. What a great day to do that. Partake of your very first communion as a Christian, you know, today, if you've not done that. If you're here and you're being faithful to the Lord and you're, you're taking your mind and you're doing everything you know to do with it and, you know, you're sharing God's word with people, you're discipling people, you're wanting to help them to grow, every opportunity God gives you, you're stepping into it and you're saying, Lord, I'm going to do it. And you're walking by faith. Man, he's proud of you. And I know it's hard, and I know that, you know, we, we grow weary. That's why the Bible says don't grow weary, because it happens. But he's proud of you, and he wants you to know that today. And he, he's cheering you on from heaven, man. He's saying, go, keep going. Don't grow weary. Keep sharing my word. My, it's doing things that you have no idea, like things you can't even see you're accomplishing. Just keep going. Don't worry about what you're seeing. Just keep doing what I called you to do. Be faithful with it, because you're not... You're not um, responsible for what happens afterwards. You're only responsible to give people what you've been given. If that's you, you just keep going. For those of us that are, maybe today was a wake-up call, and you're like, man, I need to start doing this more. I haven't, I haven't you know, I shared some statistics a while ago, but, like, do you realize that a majority of Christians share their faith maybe once in a year? Maybe once in a year? And so that, that's not being super faithful, considering that we encounter people every day, you know. So be faithful. You know, it's a choice. Today, you're going to say, Lord, I want to be faithful. And your prayer should be, just be something like this. Like, Lord, help me today to see the opportunities that you're putting before me. Because maybe you're not seeing them. But the Holy Spirit will just begin to help you to see, oh, here's this person, here's their problem. I want you to minister to them. And, and what's funny is, as you're in your devotion, because I know you all are, as you're in your devotion in the morning and you read something, and then you encounter that person that just went through just what you read, because that's what God prepared for you in that moment, you can say, wow, God, you're so awesome. Here's the word that the Lord gave me this morning. You do that. It's your choice today. God's calling you to it engaging kingdom business. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we just commit ourselves to you once again, all of us. Lord, you know right where we are. You know what we need. We need more of you. We want to be more like you, and we pray this morning, God, that you help us to do that. And as your spirit is moving in this place, Lord, we pray that you would just help us to respond this morning to your spirit. For some to salvation, for some back to being faithful, Lord, and for, for others just being encouraged that they're on the right track, they're doing the right things, and you're just blowing wind in their sail, and you're telling them to keep going. Lord, we commit ourselves to you now. Prepare our hearts for communion. We just lift this all to you, and we thank you, God. You're so good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.